0: So, reading from 1 Peter 4, uh, it's entitled Living for God. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in, in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For well, this is the reason the gospel was preached. Even so sorry, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever.
1: Good morning, church family. Morning. Uh, it's my pleasure to bring God's word to, to us this morning, uh, and I just invite you uh, to pray with me as we do that, so let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, you are the Lord of life, and as we've already heard this morning, you bring us your great gospel through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that uh, we have these words of life from you, that we can gain this life through Jesus your son. So we want to thank you afresh for the gift of your word. And as we come uh, to another passage in Peter this morning, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would work amongst us, work in our hearts, show our need for you, and show the glory of Jesus Christ to us now, we pray. Amen. (laughs) Okay, so as we've been exploring our uh, one Peter together, the, the letter there from... Yeah, from Peter. We've seen that one of the key themes in One Peter is the theme of suffering. Time and time again, Peter brings this theme to the fore and says that for the Christian we ought to expect suffering because of our faith. Now, if you're anything like me, this isn't necessarily a comforting thought. It's not something that makes us all warm and fuzzy on the inside and makes us sleep better at night. I think what makes it especially strange and perhaps even foreign to us is how our culture views pain and suffering in general. I think if there's anything that the past 18 months of COVID has taught us, it is our complete disdain of any pain and suffering. According to our culture, pain and suffering is bad. Safety and comfort is good. Safety, safety, safety. Safety is always first, we hear called out in the OHS meeting at work. And because this belief is so ingrained in us, and uh, sorry, in our culture, as Christians, it's difficult for us to peel away from these beliefs ourselves. When we read about suffering in one Peter, it just doesn't seem to fit into the world we live. How then, as Christians, are we to face suffering? courage is poised. How can we consistently choose to walk the harder, the rockier, the more treacherous gravel road the Christian life? Rather than choosing the easier, the smoother, the more comfortable highway that our world is, is just walking and, and traveling down. Uh, Peter's answer that we get in our passage today is that it comes down to perspective. What we need Is a brand new perspective on life. We need to take the goggles. All right. Okay, so I wasn't on. (laughs) There you go. That does sound different. (laughs) Okay, so as I was saying, the answer that uh, Peter gives us this morning is that what we need is a new perspective. What we need to do is take the goggles off that our culture gives us, that how we see our life and the world, rather than through the way that the world sees it, we need to see it through uh, biblical goggles. We need to take the goggles that God gives us in in his word and see our life and the world around us from God's perspective, to see things from a fresh angle. So what does this perspective consist of? Well, for us as Christians, it's having our thinking, our whole outlook on life, shaped by the, God, by the cross, by Jesus Christ. In the opening verse that we read in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. What does it mean here to be armed with Christ's own suffering? Well, this is going to be our big theme this morning. As we explore that together, there are three things that we learn from our passage here about how the cross shapes our perspective. Firstly, we see that the cross shows us that Jesus gives us new life. And this life changes our perspective because it changes the very foundation of our lives. So our passage again, just as we read, it begins with a critical phrase there. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body. That phrase alone connects it with what just came before in the letter. Uh, Last week in verses 18 to 22, uh, we explored those verses last week. And there we saw the great work of reconciliation and victory that Jesus secured and won for us on the cross. Let me just read verse 18 again for you. Says For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. On the cross, Jesus was the great trailblazer, the great pioneer, the one who conquered that mountain that we could never climb, who traversed through the valley we could never travel through. Jesus went before us and opened the way of salvation to us, the way to God. The one without sin bore our sin upon himself, and he died. And yet God made Jesus alive three days later, raising him up from the dead. A miracle that our materialistic culture says is impossible. And that one event in human history changes everything. For Christians, because Jesus lives, we live. Through the Holy Spirit, we are spiritually united with Jesus through his work on the cross. We are made one with him, eternally joined to him as the head of the church of his people. In Ephesians 2, chapter one and 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. In verses 4 and 5 it says because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. This new life through the power of the Holy Spirit in every believer is what enables us to live for God. Everything that goes on in our passage back in 1 Peter is grounded in this truth. In the cross, nothing that Peter is going to ask us to do or live, live by is even remotely possible unless Jesus gives you his life. And so I ask you this morning, have you received this life from Jesus? If you are here today and perhaps wrestling with the Christian faith and whether it is really for you, consider Jesus' offer. In Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' offer of salvation is open to all. He says, come, repent of your sin, humble yourself, acknowledge that you are not good enough for God by yourself. Stop exhausting yourself trying to be good enough when you can't in and of yourself. And believe. Believe that Jesus can take away your sin and gift you with eternal life through His Spirit. For every Christian here today, that same life that you once received is the same life that continues to shape our perspective of choosing that hard road of following Jesus. How does it do it? Well, because Peter says it's now possible for you to do it. Peter wouldn't command us here to be armed with Christ unless this was something that could take root in the Christian life and begin to flourish in you. Do you see the encouragement but also the challenge here? It's easy to be discouraged when we explore this suffering that we have been and that Peter's been presenting to us time and time again. If that's you today, if you are discouraged, remember the life giver in heaven who gives you his life. God gives you the very life of Jesus, his righteousness. As you picture him up there on the cross, remember that he did that for you. So that you can be armed with the same thinking about suffering and face suffering in this life. Your salvation is not something that you accomplished. It's a free gift from God. This is a really helpful reminder that on the one hand, in and of ourselves, we don't have what it takes to live for God. We aren't strong enough, we're not wise enough, we're not pure enough. And yet on the other hand, God in Christ so graciously gives us what we need to live for him. And it's when the power of God's life given to us takes hold of our minds, that's what begins to change our perspective. I wonder how this is received by you this morning. How aware of you of the enabling power of Jesus that he gives you to live for him. So that's the first thing that we learn about being armed with the cross of Christ and having our perspective shaped by it. To know that Christ gives you new life. The second thing that we learn this morning from Peter is that not only does Jesus give us life, he gives us a new way of life. Christ gives us a new way of life. This is critical for our perspective on life because it shows the deep conviction that living for God is always the best choice, even if our culture uh, sometimes and at times denies this. Uh, Peter shows this by describing two ways to live. In verses 2, he just says this quite plainly. Either we can, on the one hand, live according to our evil human desires, or, on the other hand, live for the will of God. So either for yourself or for God. Peter then in the rest of the passage, a lot of the passage, details and describes these two ways to live. Beginning with living for yourself, here it means uh, following your sinful desires in order to chase fulfilment, pleasure and identity. And Peter, uh, in the passage, he has quite an explosive list of sinful pursuits. Uh, debauchery, lust drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry, reckless wild living. What are we to make of this list? Well, I think for starters, it's not meant to be exhaustive. What Peter seems to be de- targeting here is what our world might describe as drug, sex, and rock and roll. It's the party scene of excess, casual sex outside of marriage and the like. It's chasing that next kick in life, that next thrill, for self-centered pleasure. What struck me about this list when I read it myself is that how common these things are throughout human history. For basically any culture that you live in, even though we're separated by 2,000 years, these sins are just as common today as they were back then. Today our culture might describe such a life as living with freedom, Because we should be all free, supposedly, to live however we want. But Peter warns us that such a life is not God honouring at all.
0: Living for yourself
1: and your own pleasure might seem free, but actually it shows the exact opposite. It's a life of bondage enslaved by your own desires that lead you astray and spiral you downward and downward into more sin and self-indulgence. For many of us here this morning, though, uh, these list of sins may not be exactly what you're struggling with. And yet, in a broader perspective, it describes a different temptation. Uh, for many others it could be the subtle temptation of pursuing a cruisy life. And that is the thing, the hook, that captures us. Pursuing safety and comfort above being uncomfortable, and yes, perhaps even unsafe, for Jesus. Sin described as the good life will take on different forms in different cultures. Our job this morning is to consider, with the help of the Holy Spirit, convicting us, and through God's word, is to examine ourselves honestly before God. What's holding you back from fully committing yourself to Jesus? God calls his people to a different life, not the good life according to what the culture esteems. But being different uh, for God may result in ridicule. There it says that in verse 4. Why? Because you don't join in all the fun that sin offers. But being different for God, willing to be like that, and cop some ridicule, shows that you have a capacity to turn away from sin. It demonstrates something really critical here. It demonstrates that sin has lost its power over your life. The grip has been loosened. This is what it means back in verse 1. At the end of the verse there, it says, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. If you're willing to suffer for Jesus, it shows that sin doesn't have its power that it used to have over you. So over against that way of life, living for yourself, Peter goes on to describe a different way of life. That's living for God. For God's will. And such a life is expressed, according to Peter, Through selfless lives, living for other people. Uh, In verse 8, Peter returns to his theme of love. it has been a really big theme in in the book of 1 Peter. And there he says, he says, Above all, love each other deeply. Next, Peter goes on to zone in on two key expressions of this love. Namely, hospitality. And secondly, using your gifts. Now, the idea of hospitality here... It means opening your homes to other people. Peter shows here that the Christian home is such a crucial environment for Christian ministry. Something that we experienced last week, last Sunday, when we did the Guess Who's Coming to Lunch event. That exemplifies this kind of ministry, this kind of thing that Peter wants to see in Christian community. Uh, In Peter's day of the first century in the Roman Empire, most people were poor. Hospitality for them would have been something costly to provide. Now it's true in our twenty first century world we have a higher abundance of physical possessions, but hospitality still comes at a personal cost. Our fast paced lives that our culture imposes on us might very well mean we need to proactively carve out time and our schedule to make hospitality a priority it's also costly when inviting people into our homes that we don't naturally gravitate towards you know, whether it's lack of shared interests personality clashes different stages of life or even just different beliefs and so the challenge for us is to consider who we could be showing hospitality towards when was the last time that you opened your home to someone who's outside your immediate circles In verse 10 and 11, Peter then speaks of using our gifts as another way of showing love. (laughs) Your spiritual gifts are are not meant to be a way that we show how good we are or, you know, that we've got things together. Because, well, all gifts are just that. They're gifts from God. Finding our identity and self-worth in our gifts rather than God is a sure way of heading into a spiritual train wreck. Furthermore, the assumption of verse uh, verse 10 seems to be that every believer has some gifts, whether they are more word or deed focused. The point that Peter seems to be making here is that Christian ministry, it's not a solo sport. It's more of a team sport where each of us are on the field playing our role for the team. The question that each of us uh, should ponder this morning is whether we are out on the field playing our part, or whether we're on the sideline watching on. Are you more of a team player that is willing to get your hands dirty in the mud for the team, or are you, are you stuck on the sideline watching on? And Peter here directly challenges our consumeristic culture that we live in, that tempts us simply to be involved in church just to come to consume rather than giving back and showing that selfless love to the community as well. So, so far this morning we've seen two really great things about gaining a perspective on the Christian life and facing suffering, being shaped by the cross of Christ. We've seen that Christ gives you new life. We've seen, secondly, that Christ gives you a new way of life. Thirdly, and lastly, we see that Christ gives you a new purpose to life, a new purpose. Peter does this by showing us that our highest purpose is to glorify the one who would judge the living and the dead. Having this in mind is what completes the picture for us. Uh, One thing that I've discovered about Perth so far is the beautiful view of the CBD that you get up on Fraser Avenue in Kings Park. Uh, There's a bit of an elevation there that gives you this great scenery. You can see uh, pretty much everything of the city. Much of what we've explored, though, in our sermons so far perhaps could be described as ground-level viewing. Perhaps imagine yourself uh, walking around Elizabeth Quay. You know, what you see is really appealing the waterfront is beautiful, the surrounding beautifuls are delightful as they press in all around you. But it's not up—not uh, until you get up on Fraser Avenue that you truly see the, the city within its, all its glory. You see the buildings, the CBD, Swan River, you see the foreshore on the south. And what Peter leaves us here with this morning is that same panorama of big picture view. Uh, but In verse 5 there, Peter, uh, he speaks about those who mock Christians and those who continue to live in their sin. And there he has some really solemn words. He says in verse 5, They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Why is this so? In verse 7 he says, The end of all things is at hand. A day is coming, the Bible consistently teaches That Christ will return and judge the world. On that day, all things, all wrongs, will be made right. The dead shall be raised. Those found in Christ will be counted amongst God's flock. Those who don't believe in Jesus will be found wanting and will be judged because of their sin. This helps us understand the puzzling verse in verse 6. I'll just read that again. It says, For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standings in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. What's going on there? Well, I believe this is referring to Christians who have since passed away. If that's true, then what Peter, the point he's making, is that from a purely earthly perspective, in one sense, being a Christian doesn't seem to make much of a difference. I mean, don't we all still just go to the grave? Don't we all just die? What's the point of fighting sin? What's the point of not pursuing the good life, according to our culture, whatever our culture says that good life is? Our materialistic worldview that we have here in the West declares that uh, all that exists is our material universe. There's no soul, there's no spiritual realm, there's no God above in heaven. Just humanity spinning around on this bowl of ocean and land in a lonely and hostile universe. But Peter's words here challenges such a world view. According to scripture, there is a God in heaven. We do have a soul. And each of us are accountable to God for how we've lived, for our actions. Furthermore, the very reason we exist at all is to give God praise and glory. Why receive this life from Jesus? Why pursue holy living, living for God? Why love others? Why show hospitality? Why use our gifts? Let's read verse 11. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So I asked you this morning, are you ready to meet your maker? Do you have unfinished business to do with God? If that's you, turn to him, believe in him, and the precious blood of Jesus that is poured out for you, and give glory to God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for your word this morning thank you for this challenge, this encouragement from Peter. We pray, Father, that you would help us as we head out into our week to have our perspective shaped by you. Father, we confess our sin. We confess that we so easily uh, pursue the good life according to our culture, whatever that is. Father, we we are so prone to uh, take that bait and hook from, from sin and from Satan and I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would convict us this day, would draw us close to Jesus, show how precious you are to us. Father, I pray that we have your ultimate perspective in mind, that we know that in the end you you are king, our lives are for you, and that everything is for your glory. Father, help us to find joy in that life and that perspective that we can live the hard life now, knowing that you've secured glory for us in eternity. Father, I pray, Lord, that that would be such a witness, that that would call people to question what is different about us, and that they might see the hope of Jesus in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.